0: Hello, and welcome back to Dear Prudence. As always, I am your host, Daniel Ortberg. Today's show was recorded live at the Brava Theater Center in San Francisco on March 7th, 2019. I was joined on stage by my friend and New York Times bestselling author, Jasmine Guillory. Jasmine's books include The Wedding Date, The Proposal, and the forthcoming The Wedding Party. Now let's join the show. Hello, San Francisco. Hello, everyone. This is very exciting. I'm very excited that you're here, Jasmine.
2: I'm thrilled to be here.
0: I hope that before the evening is over, we have counseled at least three people out of their marriages. (laughs) I love marriage, by the way. And if you can make a marriage work, I want to help in that. This column has showed me that many people...
2: Are in very bad marriages. Are in very bad
0: marriages. That they need to get out of immediately. Um, So... Sometimes the best way forward is out. Out. We're not starting with a marriage question. Um, We're starting with a a question that I think is very, very sweet and very, very tender. Um, And I'm going to let you read this one.
2: All righty. What's in a name? Dear Prudence, I'm a straight woman. My good friend Ralph, who I've known since I was 18, realized he was gay and came out in his 30s. He became good friends with two other gay men, Greg and Bill, and they helped him navigate the gay community and acted as sounding boards. I've been happy for Ralph, but I know there are things he can talk about with them that he can't with me, and that I have relative privilege as a straight person. I've made friends with the two of them, and recently we all went out for drinks together, not at a gay bar, if that matters. We are all having a nice time when Greg casually referred to some other patrons as breeders. When I protested the use of that word, Bill jumped in and told me that straight people had so many hateful words for LGBTQ people that LGBTQ people should get to have just one pejorative term for straight people. All three of them laughed. Greg continued to use breeder pointedly the rest of the time I was with them. I got really quiet, finished my drink, and begged off the rest of the evening. The guys seemed like they were in good spirits when I left. Since then, Ralph has asked me to other events with him, sometimes with those two and sometimes without. Many of these events are at gay bars. Before this incident, I eagerly hung out with Ralph and his new friends. Now, if the events involve Greg or Bill or are in a gay bar, I get really anxious and choose not to go. I worry that I will be labeled as Ralph's friend, the breeder. I have no problem with going out anywhere with my other gay friends, and I feel fine hanging out with Ralph one-on-one. I know I'm being irrational, but my anxiety over this is hurting our friendship. Should I talk to Ralph? What should I say? And how do I get over this?
0: For some reason... This reminds me of um, my favorite movie when I was a child, which was Jane Austen's Mafia, which was a terrible (laughs) film starring Jay, I don't remember his full name, but it was like, it was just a takeoff of The Godfather and Christina Applegate plays the, the kind of like Diane Keaton character and she's, pitch perfect. She is, I think, the only good thing in that movie. And at one point, she says to the, like, Michael Corleone character, I'm just always going to be that Protestant girl who never killed anyone to you. (laughs) And it's, you know, again, that's the only line that I could really stand by in that movie. But I feel that energy here in this letter. I, I feel like the, some of the stuff here is going to maybe be helpful for the letter writer to let go. But some of it, I genuinely... It, it is just hard when you've been friends with someone for a long time and they get new friends. And it, it's awful. Because it, you're like, I should be so happy for you. But I'm worried... Are we still going to get to that sit that at lunch together? have you. Yeah, and you seem to have so much fun with them, and then every and time we get together... you in a
2: way I can't understand you.
0: Yeah, and, like, I want to know, am I still special to you, but then I feel self-conscious about that, and I can feel that no one's laughing at my jokes, and maybe I should just leave, but nobody cares that I left. Like, I, I, I feel that here. I, I, I don't want to just dismiss this as, like... I, I don't think that they think of her as, like...
2: The breeder friend. No, but I do think that she should talk to Ralph about it. I mean, they've been friends for, you know, 20 years, it seems like. Um, like, have a conversation with him. Don't let this spoil your friendship. Like, maybe don't go out with those people all the time. Maybe do, but see what Ralph has to say about it. Maybe he'll say, like, oh, yeah, those two, they are they just pick on people, whatever. Or, like, oh, you know, he'll they'll reassure her, or maybe... Like, whatever the conversation is, at least she'll be happy that they talked about it.
0: Yeah, and I would say, even before you talk to Ralph, like, there's that kind of moment of, like, y- you were invited to be a part of the like that little joke at the other patrons because they wanted you to be a part of that moment. But that can be tricky because that was a sort of, like, little gay moment that they were having. Um, and it's, it's not about, you know, it's, it's, it's not about you, right? Like, it's not... It was not targeted at you. Those people were not harmed by it. It might be one of those things that's like, hopefully, his humor evolves past that at some point because, like, also just sticking with that one joke can get a little tiresome. Um, I think we all like have that friend who's like, "That's their joke," and they just that's the only joke they they ever do. Yeah. Um, Which is fine. Um, But yeah, so I, I I would say do some work, just saying like that moment was not directed at me. I don't have to worry too much about that. They clearly enjoy spending time with me. But yeah, it's absolutely fine to say, like, I miss you. This is probably a little bit strange, but sometimes I worry that I'm not as exciting as your other friends, and I would love to just, like, get lunch together, you and me, sometimes. And I've never had a friend come to me and say, I really want to spend time together, and felt like anything other than, like,
2: oh, me? (laughs) Also, he... He keeps inviting you out, so he clearly still wants to be your friend. So I don't think this is, like, anything about your friendship, but you don't want this to spoil your friendship.
0: Yeah, so I think that basically where I come down is do not go to your friend and say, will you tell your friend not to, like, say goofy things about straight people every once in a while? Because that, I think, is outside of your purview. But to share, sometimes I worry that, you know we don't have as much in common anymore or that you don't want to spend as much time with me. And I just really want to stay close and I love you. And I'm so glad you've been able to come out. And I just also want to kind of prioritize our closeness that you can absolutely do. Um, And you don't have to kill anyone. You can stay a Protestant and it's okay. Like in that moment, like he was just letting off steam. He has to be around straight people a lot. And sometimes
2: Sometimes,
0: yeah. Sort of a dumb joke helps relieve some pressure and it does not mean that they don't like you. Like, clearly, they like you, otherwise... They keep
2: inviting them out. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's a good thing that they didn't notice that your feelings were hurt, yeah. in that sense. In another <laughs> sense, you not know, so slightly, slightly insensitive. But, yeah, I really feel for their slatter writer and I, I think Ralph will be receptive to yes, this. I think so. Yeah.
1: We took it all.
0: Okay, so this next subject is date my neighbor, which um, you can do that. (laughs) It is convenient. (laughs) Dear Prudence, last year my divorce was finalized. My husband had a long-term affair with our neighbor's wife. They ran away together, leaving the rest of us here with our kids. Our lives were exploded. My neighbor's daughter has taken it very hard as her mother has barely contacted her. She spent more nights sleeping over with my girls than anywhere else. I've grown very close to my neighbor. He's a good man, solid, sweet, and kind. A few days ago, he kissed me in a romantic way, and we talked a little. I am elated and terrified. Our lives have been so chaotic recently, and we can't introduce any more to the lives of our children, but it was nice. It was more than nice. Am I crazy for wanting this? My ex is no longer with my neighbor's ex-wife and has made comments before about my neighbor quote, sniffing around me. Our relationship has barely gotten to a certain level of civility. I know it will sour again if I start dating. I need to do what is best for my girls, but I care for this man. Please help me. What? (laughs) What cheek to run off with your neighbor's spouse and then periodically say things like, I think the neighbor's interested in you.
2: I mean, look, this woman has already started off well because she got rid of her husband already. Yes. So that's, that part is good. Um, she next needs to stop caring about what her dirtbag ex-husband has to say about her future relationships.
0: I always mix this up. Is this what happened with... Um, what's her name? Oh, this is terrible. Shania Twain. Shania Twain, right? And, the, and Leanne Rhimes. They both Oh, yeah, swapped, they swapped. They swapped husbands. If you leave with a neighbor or a close friend... You, you, you have to know You're, the remaining spouses are going to get together. Because the first thing that they do is say, like, isn't this awful? They console one another. They, they console one another. Their children and
2: hang out together. They already live they next door. They the Brady Bunch. Yeah.
0: If he had wanted to push his wife into the arms of the neighbor.
2: There's no better way to do it. This was the best way yeah. to do it. Um, so, so I say, I mean, don't worry about what your ex husband about to say. But I do think it's worth, like, thinking about is this the best thing for your children right now? Like, do you do you actually want to, like, I don't think there's anything wrong with dating again after your divorce, obviously. Do you want to do it right now? Is, like, are, is this the best time? Are you, do you really want to date this guy? Or are you just, like, happy to have someone? Just answer those questions for yourself before doing this.
0: Yeah, I, I feel the same way, especially in the sense of Of course, there would be a part of me that would be like, it would be very exciting for me, the viewer at home, to watch you date your neighbor and stick it to your ex-husband, who I just think of as a cartoon villain, but you have real human children in your home that you're concerned about, and you wanna make sure that they have stability. So, absolutely, you know, say to your neighbor, these are some of my concerns, it was nice that we kissed, but I wanna do this very, very slowly, if at all. My main priority is my kids. Um,
2: Do, don't don't let the kids know at first if yeah. this is gonna happen.
0: Figure figure that out for yourself. Or yes. see a therapist if you're not already. You deserve oh, one. Yes. You know, and and really think through like what's the worst case scenario if you date your neighbor, and could you handle that? And if the answer is no, doesn't mean you you mustn't. But that would be a strong uh, point in favor of you know maybe taking a a trip out of town for a couple of days, maybe staying with your your parents for a little while, taking the kids with you, clearing your head. Um, and then, you know, if you know that your ex is going to be, you say, you know, he's going to be a jerk if you start dating. So as they like to say on Reddit, put him on an information diet about your dating, um, which is to say, if he just says things like, are you dating anyone? Is the neighbor hitting on you? Say, well, I'll see you again on Wednesday when we switch the kids over and have a good week. Like, do not tell him anything, anything. about if you see a cute guy at the movies or if an ex is getting in touch like he does not get to know anything about your dating life.
2: And just make sure like your divorce settlement and all of that is crystal clear. Don't let him try to take revenge on you by like custody? No. No. Yeah.
0: No, but I'm not a fan of your ex-husband's like dog in the no, major attitude. No, your ex-husband is terrible. Of like, "Oh well, this affair fizzled out, so what are you doing?" Like that that whole just like if I wanted to come back, could I come back? I'm not going to come back, but if I wanted to come back, could I come back? Oh. No. Get out of here, man. No. You're a jerk. You're like um, Shania Twain's ex-husband.
2: Whatever his name is. I don't know his name.
0: Was he the <laughs> mutt? His name was Muttley or something? No, that's that the villain from... Um... Thank you. Muttley was the bad guy from the Penelope Pitstop races, <laughs> which was a great program.
1: Anatomy of an ad
0: Uh, you get to read this next letter.
1: All right.
2: My oldest friend is cheating on his partner and I am conflicted. Dear Prudence, I've been friends with Brian for over 20 years, during which time I've seen him fail at multiple relationships and businesses for exactly the same reasons. I'm the person he can confide to without judgment, without confusion. We've seen each other through some really big life stuff and he trusts me completely. But he's cheating on his partner of the last decade, Liz, a dear woman who lived in one of my apartments with him, loves my children, is kind and sweet and long-suffering of Brian's foibles. Is that how you say that word? That is how you say it. Thank you. That's how I say it. He is cheating on her with Marie for nearly two years. Twice, Brian has arranged for me to meet this woman. Several times he has tried to put me on the phone. I've clearly said to both of them that I won't speak to her again. For one, I don't want to be involved in her drama as she is really pretty hysterical and threatening. Secondly, I can't talk to Liz without feeling guilty. I generally tend towards minding my own business, but it is very difficult to not feel complicit in this situation when I see Liz weekly and lie to her face. By the way, I run Brian's company and am part owner of it. He is CEO of a tech company and just as narcissistic and sociopathic as the rest of these guys. The San Francisco audience really appreciated that part. (sighs) I can't just walk away from all three of them. He is godfather to my children, family, and a work partnership, which also shows how close Liz is to us too. Help, do I follow my conscience or my declared loyalty? All right.
0: I just wanna say when people cheat, they go all out. (laughs) This man is, like he has made an art out of cheating. He's like, By the way, friend-slash-landlord-slash-part-owner of my tech company, my mistress is on the phone, and she'd like to threaten you.
2: (laughs) Here's what I don't understand about this letter. From the beginning, the letter writer says that they have known Brian for over 20 years and seen him fail at multiple relationships and businesses for exactly the same reasons. Why... To you now run Brian's company and are the part owner of it. I feel like this is a, this, you knew you were getting into a bad situation. This, and then yeah. Brian proved to you just how bad he was gonna be.
0: Yeah, I, I think, obviously, I think you need to tell Liz, but. The bigger thing for you is spending a little time trying to figure out. For twenty years, you've known this guy's character, and you've known that he really mistreats both his employees and his partners for like kind of the same reasons over and over again. And your response has been, "Well, well, he can confide to me without judgment. <laughs> judgment is called for. <laughs> judgment is is like." Judgment does not always mean that you are casting people away to live on an island in isolation and shame. Judgment sometimes means like using your judgment to make a judgment call.
2: Yeah, I feel like, I feel like more important for you is to disconnect yourself from this entire situation. Like maybe find a different job where you're not working for this sociopath? Yeah. It's like, you call him a narcissistic sociopath? That's not, like, and also your friend, no.
0: Yeah, no, no, no. It is, it is good if you've been friends with someone for 20 years and you think that they treat the people in their lives very, very badly and also, frankly, mistreat you, you should say something. It's not a, it's not a sign that, oh, I'm a really good friend that I never say anything. It would be like if I took you out to dinner and I said, what are you going to order? And you said, I don't really like to judge. Like... <laughs> I don't want to make one menu item feel singled out. Like that would in fact be a failure to use your judgment at a time when you really ought to. Um, So, you know, yes, this is, you're going to need to talk to Liz. You're also going to need to make some more long-term plans about who you rent to and what companies you run. And getting into, and it, like, we laugh, but this is, you know, this is big. This is going to be a big change for this person. And so I advise once again, seeing a therapist and kind of saying, you know, one thing I'm realizing is that I've spent the last 20 years avoiding a really big issue in my life. And I let it kind of take over my professional life, my personal life. I don't want to do that again in future relationships. Can you help me identify what I'm getting out of that and how I can stop?
2: I would say, though, if you do plan on telling Liz, I would try to start disconnecting your professional and personal relationship with Brian before that, especially since you say that he's a sociopath and his mistress is threatening. Yeah. So I would just, like, protect yourself yeah. in this situation. Yeah, but I don't think that
0: Brian should be your friend. I think Brian... You don't like Brian at all. No. I don't like
2: Brian no, at all. No, nobody likes Brian. Um, no. Does anyone here like Brian? Does anyone here work for Brian? (laughs) Um, Yeah, so
0: I I I will just say because this letter writer has demonstrated so far a real difficulty, um, like figuring out what's the right level to be involved in someone else's life. I I fear that you're going to try to overcorrect, and now like I'm going to tell Liz, and I'm going to like mediate their marriage for them, and just get super involved. So like this needs to be the thing you say as you begin to disconnect. And that will mean saying something to Liz that is painful and not like volunteering to come over every day and like go through their fights with them. So figure out a time that you can just communicate the information to her, Um, you know, tell her that you wish you had told her sooner. It's been on your conscience um, that you're not gonna try to tell her what to do or bring the subject up again but you would wanna know in her situation, give her the facts and then let that be that. And I hope she has other friends that she can talk to. And oh, poor Liz. You know, whatever choice Liz does or doesn't make, because maybe she already kind of knows, maybe she knows a lot, let that choice be hers. Like, you need to go figure out why you've been best friends with a narcissist that you think is a sociopath and a bad dude for 20 years. And we're like, absolutely, let's go into business together. <laughs> um, I want better for you. I want so much yes. better for you. And um, he's godfather to your children. Why? You know, luckily, that's not a legally I mean, binding you, relationship.
2: Like, look, I am godmother to a few friends' children. I take that seriously. Do you, do you when you look at Brian, who, again, you call narcissistic sociopath, do you think, like, this is the kind of person who I want to guide my children's faith for the rest of their life? Like, their relationship with God? That, that's not... I don't feel like that's a person who, should be guiding children. Yeah,
0: I I think you made the wrong call with your the godfather of your children. <laughs> I don't think you need to worry, like, when you have blown up his spot with his wife and, like, broken your professional ties, I think he will at that point not say, like, but what about the next christening? No, I was gonna...
2: No, I think you can just let that go.
0: Like, that will fall by the wayside. But yes, again, you gotta... These will be questions you will be asking not just a week from now, but a month from now and a year from now in therapy because it's going to take a while to untangle some of this stuff. But you sound ready to stop, which I'm very glad to hear because this sounds unpleasant. So let's leave that one behind. Let's move on. Um, Oh, this next one is tricky, Um, but not as tricky because nobody's anybody's godfather. The subject... uh, is joblessness turning into hopelessness. Dear Prudence, oh, I just know everyone's gonna, this first sentence, you're all gonna have a hard time with this one. I went to grad school to increase my earning potential and open up more career opportunities. I'm so sorry. (laughs) However, I've had a brutal time getting a job. I've been applying for two months and have had several interviews, all of which have ended in rejection. I think I'm up to 32, you will get more. Um, Sorry, I don't need a good good color commentary on this. With every interview I get excited, only to put in hours worth of work and have nothing to show for it. It's pretty awful. I have $150,000 of student loans needing to be paid back in six months. And every statistic I read about the long-term effects of a low starting salary means I can't accept the idea of working as a barista or something until I find a new job in my field. My joblessness has turned to hopelessness. I can't concentrate in school as I look around at everyone who already has cushy jobs lined up. I'm having trouble falling asleep and staying asleep. I've withdrawn from friends and family who ask me about it because I hate admitting that I'm a failure. I'm already in therapy for something unrelated and my therapist doesn't really have good advice because she's never been in this situation. I feel lost. What should I do?
2: My heart goes out to this person. You
0: also went to grad school.
2: I did. How
0: are you feeling about that right now?
2: Well, I mean, I'm not working in that field anymore. Um, but I have had similar situations. I, I really feel for this person. I will say my advice is to do two things. First, put out, put out of your mind the whole idea that you can't take a different job, that you can't take a lower starting salary. Like, you... The most important thing for you right now is to feel better about yourself. Um, and even if even if this job is not in your field, it is something, and will like get you moving and feeling like you're okay and you can succeed Um, and also you can just leave it off your resume like I feel like people don't really know this that you don't have to put your barista job on your resume no one will know this in your future salary negotiations that you were a barista sometime that's okay Um, also go to your doctor like you seem depressed I think that you could your therapist isn't working for this which some therapists are good about this some aren't but like You talk to your doctor about the sleeplessness and the depression. This is a thing you can work on. It'll get better, I promise. I'm so sorry.
0: Yeah. I would say, too, specifically, say to your therapist, I'm having a hard time talking about this with you because you haven't been in this situation, and I want, like, more specific advice. I think sometimes when we get therapists, we think either I will agree with this person all the time, and they will give me really good advice, or... I will quietly be disappointed in the things that they say and then stop going back. And that is a recipe to feel really frustrated with therapy. Um, And I think sometimes it can feel hard, uh, the idea of pushing back against someone in the room like that you're normally used to getting support from can feel really overwhelming, but I'm a big advocate of disagreeing with your therapist sometimes and seeing what happens. Because usually it's fine, your therapist will very calmly say something and you'll both figure out what to do next. Um, So I would say that thing to your therapist. Say like, I'm really stressed out um, about my career. Part of me feels like because you have not graduated with a ton of student debt, you can't understand what I'm going through. And I promise like, you're not gonna hurt your therapist's feelings. She's not gonna be like, oh my gosh.
2: I feel like you could give your therapist some reading material. There have been some excellent articles recently about like student debt and how you know the hopelessness that people feel about yeah. that and yeah. like I, I think a your therapist should like get used to this because I think this is a thing that people will be talking about A to lot of us about are hopeless, like
0: your um, therapist should definitely. <laughs>
2: But also, I mean, but also to a certain extent, like you said you're going to therapy about something unrelated, so maybe, the ther- maybe you're going to therapy for something that your therapist is really good at, yeah. and then they are just not good at this one thing. That's okay. You can talk to, you know, go, go to your doctor, talk, try to get your therapist to work on this. Find a different therapist that is okay, too.
0: Yeah, um, yeah, and, and may, mainly just communicate to your therapist, I, I don't expect you to help me get a job. I just want to make sure that we're able to talk about this in addition to the other stuff that I'm seeing you, because this is a big thing that's like affecting my ability to function. And so as my therapist, I want you to know that. Um, yeah. But I
2: also think, you know, like sometimes when you get into this pit of depression about something like this, the, you, it is very helpful to get, to talk to your doctor, to get medication to help you out of that, because you because you have this hopelessness, you can't sleep, like, you think that nothing will ever be okay again, and sometimes you just need something else to help you feel like you could maybe do something, and, I, and that's okay, I feel like people think that you're admitting to failure if you talk to your doctor about something like that, and that's not, um, and I hope that I, like, I, I hope that things get better for you. And also, you look around at your classmates and think that everything is perfect for them, and I promise that it's not, even if they do have jobs, or maybe some of them don't have jobs and they just won't admit it. Um, I think there are a lot of people in situations like yours, and they just you just aren't talking. People aren't talking about it because they feel like failures.
0: Yeah. I'll just add a couple quick things to that, one of which is um, I don't... God, I hope you don't have to pay the whole 150000 in six months. Yeah. If you do, you got to talk to somebody and make it clear that's just not going to happen. Sometimes it can kind of help to start from a position of just like, that won't happen. So what do we do? Like, don't, don't overwhelm yourself thinking, like, my life will be ruined. Like, um, talk to everybody and anybody who's even remotely connected with student loans on campus and try to find out what your other options are um, in terms of, like income-based repayment or even defaulting or getting other forms of assistance. Like, ask for that kind of help and ask for it loudly. Um, and again, I, I understand that you might not want to, like, broadcast your most vulnerable, panicked feelings on campus. But I promise other
2: people have... The people you talk to will have heard this before. Yeah, even... That's if, their job.
0: Yeah, and, and, like, if there are students who have gotten great jobs, like, ask them, do you know if that firm is also hiring? Because I'm actually having a harder time finding a position than I thought I would. Like, ask them for help getting that interview. Um, I don't want to come down like real hard on you like you shouldn't have gone to grad school because what's done is done. You can't unring that bell. But when it comes to thinking about what happens next, it may be, I hope it's not, but it may be that grad school is something that never affects the kinds of jobs that you have. It may be that you just spent a lot of money on it and you have to figure out a new thing afterwards. And if that happens, mainly what I don't want for you is to feel like I can't take this job. I, I have to um, make up for this. Like I have to earn my money back. So unless I get a job in my field, I won't take a job at all. And then, you know, five years from now, you still don't have a job and you feel like, I wish I could go back in time and get that barista job and like just be working at a coffee shop. So again, I'm not saying work at a coffee shop or don't. And I'm not saying uh, assume, it, just imagine already that grad school was a total waste of your time and you can't ever make up for it. Um, but I would just say, don't don't feel like um, I have to justify the money I already spent here because that is a recipe for panic, and just like not letting yourself try something different.
2: Yeah, and also talk to career services at your school. I think graduate schools. Um Like all of their graduates to get jobs because it makes them look bad. Like they get ranked based on that. So go talk to people and say, like, I'm not finding a job. Help me. What can I do? What else is there? You know, keep talking to people until someone is helpful because it is in their best interest to help you. And I think once you start feeling like I keep looking, I keep interviewing, and I keep not getting it. Something must be wrong with me. Therefore, I. You know, I'm a failure, and I can't talk to anyone about it. And I think like you need to talk to as many people as possible about this, even though it makes you feel terrible, um, because it's only other people like other people will be able to help you in a way that you you can't get your you know you can't get your own job. Like that's not saying anything bad about you. None of us can get our own jobs. We all need other people to help us. Mm-hmm. So ask as many people for help as you can, even though it makes you feel like the first time it, it feels miserable. But keep doing it, and then it'll m- feel more normal to you.
0: Yeah. And good luck. And, good and luck. right back, let us know how you're yes. doing. I want to hear from you again. And I'm so glad I don't have to read this next letter.
2: All righty. Bridal Party Blues. Dear Prudence, I'm getting married in a few short months, and I'm excited to have my two best friends, Tiffany and Philip, standing by my side as I marry the most amazing man. Unfortunately, Tiffany and Philip are currently getting a very ugly divorce. Philip cheated on Tiffany with his coworker Dahlia last year. Philip is no longer seeing Dahlia and is dating another coworker, Carrie, but he and Tiffany aren't legally divorced yet. Tiffany, who is otherwise handling things gracefully, is feeling incredibly sad about Carrie, I wonder why, and I want to make Tiffany feel as comfortable as I can during the wedding. I know it's customary to give all of your bridal party members a plus one, but do I have to give one to Philip? I don't want added add a drama at my wedding, and I want to protect Tiffany's emotions, what will likely already be a trying day for her, but I don't want to be a jerk to Philip, who is already feeling estranged for our friend group. We love him, but we are all varying levels of angry with him over this situation. On top of all of this, I don't know Carrie, and Philip himself has told me he finds Carrie boring. Why he's seriously dating someone he finds boring is beyond me. Do I need to extend a plus one to Philip? And if so, how do I be a supporter friend to Tiffany? I feel like that wrong question
0: got asked here. Yeah, this is like... He's out of your wedding party. Why is
2: he in your wedding party? When you
0: cheat on one of my bridesmaids, you don't get to stand up there with my bridesmaid as she, like, watches me take a vow. No! Sorry.
2: I mean, I feel like... Yes, I understand that Philip, his feelings are hurt because he's estranged from your friend group. Why is he estranged from your friend group? Because he cheated on one of your friends. Again, this is... Like, if you want to be a nice friend, don't disinvite him to the wedding. Like, let him come to the wedding, maybe? Why is he in your wedding party?
0: The, 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 The conversation you have with Philip is just, obviously, you are no longer in the wedding party. And if he says something like, why, you say, you cheated on another member of the wedding party. (laughs) Like, when you say that sentence out loud and you realize how reasonable you sound, you don't have to have an argument. You don't have to convince him. And again, you don't have to say, like, therefore you're not invited or I want to put you under a special shame canopy where everyone will come by and throw tin cans at you later. Like, again, I want to make it really clear. I am not suggesting that you have to, like, get rid of Philip from your life entirely. But, again, like, when somebody is your friend and you love them and they do something that is hurtful. If you say something like, you did something hurtful and I think it's okay that you experience some consequences for the hurt you caused. That's good friendship.
2: And you're not, like, you're, again, you're not doing this to... Punish Philip. You're doing this because he cheated on your friend, and asking her your friend who was there with you. Yeah, at your wedding, asking
0: Tiffany to stand up in front of everybody you both know with her, like the 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 ink is not yet dry on their divorce papers. The man who cheated on her, and say like that's cool with you, right, Tiff? Like that's a cruel thing to do to her. Like that's an affront to her dignity. That would be asking her to like put up with just like public humiliation. And you shouldn't do it to her. You shouldn't even be putting her in a situation where she feels like pressure to be cool about it. So you tell Philip, my friend, I love you. I'm very excited to have you at the wedding. Of course you understand you are no longer in the wedding party. Which like... I don't know, he doesn't sound like the kind of guy who's also just like a stand-up groomsman. He doesn't sound like the kind of guy... Do you know what I mean? Like, he already he's cheats on his wife, here, calls okay? his new girlfriend organizing. boring. He's not going to be like, oh, no, but I like would crafted a really thoughtful poem that I wanted to read. <laughs> like, Philip is thinking about himself. So, he's not in the wedding party. Um, yeah, also, while you're at it, don't give him a plus one, frankly. <laughs> yeah. like, don't give
2: him a plus one to the wedding and also...
0: Yeah, uh, don't, don't, make, don't make Tiffany stand up there with him. That's very, very reasonable. Um, if he wants to have like an ongoing conversation with you about that, if you guys want to hash it out, if you want to have some difficult conversations where you say things like, Phil, I love you, but I'm really ashamed of the way you've behaved in the last year. I don't know why you're telling me that you find your new girlfriend boring. I think that's cruel and inappropriate to say to me. I question your judgment, and I want you to do better. And you should say those things to Phil. I will say those things to Phil if you don't want to.
2: <laughs> you can just have him listen.
0: To yeah, play him this podcast. <laughs> like encourage him to listen to the sounds of shock and laughter <laughs> that comes from a group of reasonable people. Um, F- Phil should be uncomfortable right now. Again, I'm not. Don't throw the tin cans. Don't say Phil. You can never be my friend again. But don't put Tiffany in that situation. That's the way to be supportive of her. And he should be experiencing, like, he shouldn't just be experiencing a vague discomfort when, like, no one says to him, like, I think what you did was unkind and cruel, but they're all just sort of like, oh, I'm just gonna talk to Phil a little bit less until I feel less bad. Like, somebody should be saying to Phil, what are you doing? Why are you treating people this way? Tiffany
2: here, all of her friends are still friends with the guy who cheated on her? Like, give
0: her a little bit more support. Still friends, but, like, a little distant, which is just, like, that's the worst response, right? Like, either just, like, go full hog and be a jerk and be, like, whatever, I love Phil. Phil can't do anything wrong. Or cut Phil, but, like, this in-the-middle stuff isn't pleasing anybody. But, yeah, if, you know, God forbid, somebody cheats on me, done. and you invite us both to be in your wedding party, I'm not gonna be, like, understandable, but could could they just not come with a date? Like I'm gonna be like, (laughs) I invite you to make a choice. Please let me know when you have made it. Um, Yeah, normally when I get wedding questions, I counsel people to care less and do a little less and not worry so much. This is a wedding escalation that I encourage. (laughs) Make this wedding more dramatic. You get to read the next letter.
2: Um, My brother-in-law is the evil twin. Dear Prudence, my husband and I have been together for a decade. In that time, his twin brother has gone from pretty liberal to identifying as an alt-right white supremacist and says and posts things online in support of white supremacy, anti-Semitism, racism, sexism, basically ticking all the isms and phobia boxes with his beliefs. My husband, on the other hand, is one of the nicest people I've ever met and has polar opposite beliefs from his twin." Currently, my brother-in-law is working out of the country, so for the most part, I've been able to avoid him since his viewpoints took a turn for the worse. However, it is likely he'll be moving home at some point this year. I want nothing to do with him. However, my husband has a relationship with him, although they stick to superficial topics like sports and movies because my husband has made it clear that he doesn't want to hear his brother's abhorrent views. With him moving back in the nearest future, I know this is going to keep coming up as a source of contention between us. I don't even want my brother-in-law in our house, but obviously it's my husband's house too. And at a loss with how to deal with the situation, any advice?
0: I would love to stop getting this question. I, I don't mean to say like the letter writer is a big jerk. I mean, I get this question so much and I wish I didn't get it.
2: I mean, yes, it's your husband's house, but it's your house too. So I feel like you both can make rules about who comes into your house and who doesn't. Um, So I think a pretty firm rule you can make is he does not come into our shared home where I live. Yeah, yeah, and
0: I'm with you there. I don't think, you know, you need to say you have to tell your brother to, like, go jump in a lake. But um, while I think family relationships can be complicated. I don't want to always just say, like, cut everybody off whenever they say something that's, like, painful. You know, if you know your sibling is a white supremacist and you choose to talk about sports, you are committing a grave sin, Uh, is the only way I know how to describe that. Like, you are choosing uh, to ignore evil to talk about sports, and that's bad, and you shouldn't. So, you know, Again, without saying to your husband, here is what you have to do, I think you can say this. You and I both know, uh, because your brother-in-law has said publicly, that he is a white supremacist. I think that's awful. Um, I can't pretend not to know that. I have no interest in making small talk with him. Um, Knowing what I do, I cannot pretend not to know it. Um, So if we are ever with him, I will talk about it.
2: Or you can just say I choose to never be with him and that is fine and yeah. if that I mean that might cause friction between your, you and your husband
0: but that's good But you, that's... some things should cause friction
2: yeah. <laughs> like, I think this is the kind of thing that is that should make your husband think about his really and again like family relationships are important I understand why someone would feel like that this is my twin brother but also he's a white supremacist
0: yeah you know I mean like There's a difference between like, we have like big disagreements about like how to conduct trade agreements, and like, we have to talk about movies, but like the only movies he wants to talk about is Birth of a Nation. Like, it's, um, yeah, so either to say, I cannot be around him, that would be a totally appropriate thing for you to say, or to give your husband fair warning of like, if I am in the same room with him, I'm gonna say, you're a white supremacist, and I don't think that's good. Do you, husband, want to be in that room? Uh, or would you like to make alternate arrangements? But don't, you know... If you agree never to really talk about it with your husband, and your husband agrees to never really talk about it with his brother, that is how you create a family that like builds itself around the white supremacist um, and makes it easier for him to live his life. And I think a good rule of thumb is to make it more difficult for white supremacists to openly espouse their beliefs. Um, I agree with just, that. Yeah. Like, <laughs> so, um, you know, the whole, like, Well, we I both... understand
2: you feeling bad about this because you feel like you're coming between your husband and his brother, but his brother is the one who did that. So... Right.
0: Like, he's the one who was like, I'm just going to say this stuff on social media yeah. now. Like, that was his choice. And so I, I, I do understand that like in other situations, whether or not someone like lives in a house is relevant, but like the fact that your husband owns property, you know, like does not enter into this, like, like, oh no, you don't have property. You don't get to have an opinion on white supremacy. Like that's an ugly idea. Um, And I get that. That's not what you're trying to say here, but that's what you said is like, because it's my husband's house. Maybe he has a right to excuse white supremacy. No, 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 no. We've had a whole conversation about this property doesn't enter into the question you have a stake in resisting white supremacy even if the only thing that you own is like your hands (laughs) Um, this is definitely bring it up now bring it up before the brother-in-law moves home Um, make it really really clear what you are and aren't willing to do And don't make your husband's own guilt. Like,
2: this will make your husband feel uncomfortable. This may make his brother feel uncomfortable. That's fine. That's good. People should feel uncomfortable about being a white supremacist. Yeah, and that, 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 like,
0: you know, if your husband hears that and he's like, oh, no, what am I going to do? You don't have to figure that out for him. we would be like, yeah, you need to figure out what you're going to do about your brother who's a white supremacist because you have decided not to do anything previously. So, like if he kind of comes back at you with this sort of passive, like, oh, no, now I have a problem. Like, again, lovingly, like, encouragingly, with the kindness of a spouse who wants their partner to do the right thing, to be an actively good person, not just a passively quiet person, um, say, you do have a problem. I would like to hear what some of your thoughts are. Like, you created this problem, and I want to know that the person I married is gonna do something about this. So, good thing you got some time to fight this one out because it's, it's a good thing to fight about. Um, and keep us posted. Yeah. And don't have this guy over. No. Definitely don't have this guy over. Okay, we're ending on a nicer note because this one's just about Rude family members, which is-
2: at least, at least they're not, as far as we know, white supremacists. Yeah, you can work with Rude. Yeah.
0: Um, Rude, rude, there's a lot of room to maneuver. So the subject is rude parent dilemma. Dear Prudence, I'm a grad student. I'm worried now about (laughs) how you're doing there because I hope you're okay in that. I hope you're okay. I'm a grad student who's gone through periods of estrangement from my parents since I was a teenager. I just spent some time at home with my parents and it ended with none of us speaking after they repeatedly treated me with derision and hostility, bringing me to tears. Although I go out of my way to do things for them, and to be cordial, I feel like this treatment has become normalized in their eyes. Now that I'm back at my home, they've both reached out in a moderately affectionate way, not referencing any of the conflict. I haven't responded yet. I know that I should stop spending time in their home, as it never goes well, but I don't know if I should bring up my anger with their unacceptable behavior, take their lead and maintain a polite correspondence, or cut them out of my life entirely. They are getting older and they made a lot of sacrifices for my sister and I getting us through college. So it's not like I don't owe them anything.
2: Do you have any thoughts? I mean, I feel like your first step should be to go to therapy.
1: Um, just um, this everybody, seems, everybody this seems
2: like a very difficult family relationship, and you seem to have a lot of guilt in this. Like, I don't think you owe your parents anything just because they put you through college. Um, I don't like, especially if you're there, you're going to their house and they're being actively cruel to you. So, I think you need to work through all those feelings, and those are hard, like those are normal hard feelings to have. So, I I think there's a lot of space between continuing to do what you have been doing and cutting them out of your life entirely. And I think talking to someone about this will be a really good way to help you navigate that.
0: Yeah, I I would agree with that. I I don't, in this one, I I don't have a really strong sense of you need to either do the following things to try to make things work or you absolutely owe it to yourself to never speak to them again. I know a lot of different people with different relationships to really difficult parents. Um, some of them have gone through periods where they don't talk to them at all. Sometimes they try a lot. Sometimes the trying is really painful. Um, sometimes the painful trying is worth it to them. So I, I, you know, I would say mostly if you're kind of worried that like the right thing to do here is really stand up for yourself and tell your parents off. And if you don't do it, you're somehow... Giving in or being weak. Like, if there's just a part of you that's like, even though my parents are really, really difficult, I love them and it would pain me to not be in touch with them, please don't feel like that's weak or wrong. So, I would say before you do anything, actually really just spend a little time either talking with somebody that you know loves you and will listen non judgmentally, or even just with a journal, kind of writing down, like, given certain things that you know you can't change, what would you like? in terms of your relationship with your parents. And if the idea of even just kind of having a difficult interaction with them once a month would be like, but I still want to know how they're doing. Um, I still want to tell them what's going on with me. I still want to see their faces. I still want to hear their voices. If that's an important value for you, that's good to know. And you, you get to prioritize that. Um, it doesn't make you weak. Um, it doesn't make you... Um, like avoidance necessarily again like there's always important lines when it comes to stuff like um you know if they were like being violent towards you i would say that you had an obligation to your own safety to get out or if they were um uh you know crossing the line in terms of like open racism or other forms of bigotry that you felt like a duty to resist but just in that category of like what do i want how difficult you know how much my time and energy can i Put towards this. So if you decide, you know what, for right now, I'm gonna focus on grad school and finding a therapist, and I'm gonna have some conversations with my parents that like run along this level of my life. We're gonna talk about what they've been cooking, what movies they've seen, and I'm gonna get off the phone in five minutes. And maybe in a couple of years, I will wanna say.
2: Like, if you're not ready to have the hard conversations yet, it's okay. Not everybody has to have those immediately. You can figure out what you want to say first before starting that conversation.
0: Yeah, and especially because I think it sounds like this letter writer is really for the first time trying to consider, like, beyond just not talking, what are my other options? So don't feel like you have to decide a really great strategy right away. Um, But yeah, if it feels really important to you to take a little more time, you might even say to your parents, hey... My last visit home was really painful. Um, You guys hurt me. And I want to be able to talk about it, but I'm not quite there yet, so I need a little time and space. Um, And then take that time and space. Um, You could do that. Um, If you feel like I think that they would laugh at me and and I'm not ready for that, you don't have to, but you can. I feel like I'm doing a lot of waffling. I mostly just, I feel like this letter writer already feels really, um, like, bound up and really, like, constrained, and I want them to know that they've got a lot of options.
2: And you don't have to make that choice immediately. I feel like you think that, like, you think that you need to stop spending time in your home or that you should stop speaking to them completely or you should, you know, I think it's okay to sit with your feelings for a while and feel them and then... Figure out what you're going to do without making any decision just yet and just know this is hard for you. You don't want things to keep going along as you've been doing, so I think knowing that is your first big step yeah. and then figure out what you like, how you want the relationship to be, what choices you can make to make things better for yourself um, and I think it's hard to you can't know that right now. You have to kind of think about it for a while. I mean, yeah. That's okay. And
0: and just to like reiterate, you know, if they were bringing you to tears and then once you went away and got some space, they acted like that didn't happen. That's, that's not, you know, you didn't make that up. Um, it's not normal to treat other people that way. It's okay to still be hurt by that. Um, and so it, like, I'm really glad that you've kind of decided, okay, one thing I can do is not be in their house anymore, that's really good. But if you also just need to say, like, I appreciate the affection, but if you really want to demonstrate that you care about me, um, I need to say out loud that the last time I saw you, you were really cruel and you mocked me and you made me cry and I don't understand why you're pretending that didn't happen. And that's not, like, something you need to argue with them about. Like, if they try to say, like, we thought it was fun or that's not how I say it. Like, that's not how I saw it. You can just say, like... I'm not trying to argue with you about how you saw it. I'm telling you what happened. I know what happened. I remembered what happened. That was real. Um, If you ever want to acknowledge and talk about that with me, I'm available for that. But if what you want to do is pretend it didn't happen or suggest that I made it up, I'm not available for that conversation. And that's not the same thing as cutting them out of your life. That's saying, like, I will engage with reality if you want to engage with reality. And if you want to continue this thing where... Um, you treat me one way in person, and then once I get a little space and independence, and you start to worry that I'm like getting away from you, you try to pretend it didn't happen. Like, that's just not a game I'm gonna engage with. But I wish you a lot of luck. It's really, really hard. And again, a hard place to be in. I'll just say if you decide that you are not ready to cut ties with your parents, even though they treat you really cruelly, that is okay. You do not have to do it because of some like allegiance to like doing the right thing. You can just do what feels, um, Doable right now. And that's our last letter. And I'm sad that we ended on like a heavy note, but uh, I'm also glad that we've hopefully talked at least one person in the audience out of having an affair tonight. (laughs) Like, if anyone came here and was on the fence, I hope we.
2: You know, don't. Even if you need
0: to get divorced, just go home and tell your spouse. Just say, I'm unhappy and thinking about cheating. Don't. That's just so much quicker. Yeah. Then you can just go date people, with, on purpose, and it's just, it's just easier. You have to take screenshots. Screenshots clutter up your desktop. They clutter up your photo cloud. It's no good. Um, you're all wonderful, Jasmine. You're wonderful. I think we have some time to take questions from the crowd. Someone ask a light-hearted. Yes,
2: question. please. Someone ask please. a like fun question.
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh, wonderful. Thank you so much. I'm so glad you're here. So this is actually a lighthearted question.
2: Um, One of the highlights of my week in the fall was quickly watching Discovery and then jumping online to see what you had written about Tilly's hair. And so I've been really sad lately that I don't know your thoughts on Discovery in general and also Tilly's hair.
0: Oh, well, thank you. That was very lighthearted. The question was why I'm not recapping the next season of the new Star Trek, um, which I did last year. And the reason is that I have been writing my book which is due tomorrow. Uh, um, it's very nice of you all to applause. It is not done. Um, it will be done tomorrow. Um, but yeah, I, I, they, they asked me if I wanted to, to recap the show again, and I, I had to finish my book instead. So um, that's that. Someone else ask a question, please. Uh, so I am, I am married to a trans person, one of the, the first... 20 or so people to be registered non-binary under the the California
1: law that allows for that. Awesome. And I have struggled with telling stories about our life together before they were trans with the sort of issue of dead naming and using the wrong pronouns because this is who they were at the time. Hmm. And um, I don't have like a really specific question about that, but I feel like you might be qualified to comment on this and like, what is appropriate, yeah. what's insensitive.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I'll say to the first thing, I don't wish those people on the open relationship community because <laughs> it seems to me that people who are really invested in having open relationships actually love logistics and processing <laughs> and honesty. And I don't want to deliver to them a pack of people who are like, I love sneaking around. <laughs> Hiding secrets. stuff, denying things I've done, and like, so they, they, they need to get their house in order there first before they can figure out what their you know, needs and desires are in terms of relationship structure. But I hear you. Um, so, I, I mean, the question generally, like, especially if you're in a really close relationship with somebody who transitions in the course of your relationship, you know, how do you think about, how do you talk about um, uh, various times during your life together. Uh, of course, you know, my, my first thought there is speak to your partner um, and, and ask those questions um, because that particular person will always have um, the best information about that. And it may sometimes change. Um, I, I don't wanna say like here is a hard and fast rule. I will say generally speaking, um, especially the longer somebody has um, like gone through their transition, usually uh, we don't think of like a time in our life necessarily before we were trans, even if we don't think of ourselves as somebody who always knew. There's often a sense of continuity to it that can be sort of hard to put into words. So while somebody else might have experienced a a significant shift, um, for us it can feel a little bit more like... um, locking something into place and and um, less of, like, a big, big break. Although, again, that can really vary. Sometimes people do experience in those ways. So with that big, big caveat, I would say err on the side of asking your partner first and saying, um, what would be your preference? If you're not sure what your preference is, you know, I will err on the side of, like, not telling that particular anecdote. Um, but, you know... Um, I guess I would just say be prepared for it to change because for me, sometimes that has changed. And I think often there is kind of a push for all of us to feel like we want to make it as easy as possible for other people because we sometimes feel, even around, really open, accepting, like right on people, a little bit of a sense of guilt, like we're taking something away. Like I know I experienced that. I didn't want to. I knew intellectually that that's not something that I was doing. And yet there was also a part of me that often felt like, I'm taking something away from the people who love me and the best thing I can do is transition as quietly as possible and ask as little of the people around me as possible so they don't mind so much. So, uh, you know, you take people at their word, obviously, but, you know, recognize that there will probably be an impulse within the trans person you love to say, it's fine, it's totally fine, totally get it, totally fine, I love it, no worries. Um, And maybe that's true, and if so, that's great. But if sometimes they say, you know, I I want you to pause on those stories, or I'm not so sure how I feel about that particular picture that's up in the hallway, or I would like you to refer to me in the past as my name. Um, Especially because usually, like, if, if somebody transitions in your life, usually people know, you know, like all the people in my life know that I'm trans. So if I talk about my childhood and I refer to myself as Danny, people, people who know me know that people weren't calling me Danny at the time. Like we're all aware that I was like raised not under the name Danny. So it doesn't feel like I have to acknowledge that with the people who know me well, um, so. I would say those are just some guiding principles. Um, I would not try to offer up a hard and fast rule other than just ask the person that you're thinking of talking about um, and be guided by them. And if they say, I don't know, you know, err on the side of waiting till you can learn more. But I'm glad you're asking that question. That's thoughtful and loving. And I'm really, really glad that you're thinking about that and that your goal is to find ways to talk about your own experience that both honors, you know, what you've been through, and, and also um, something that's deeply, deeply felt um, in your relationship. <sighs> also, I love your necklace. I just meant to say that earlier. My
2: sister gave it to me for Christmas.
0: Your sister has the best taste. Yeah. All right, who's next? Uh, so I don't know if you remember, but I asked a question when you last did a live show in San Francisco. Oh my goodness! Did it uh, did it work out? Yes, that's what I just wanted to tell you. So my <laughs> my um, hot dog. <laughs> Uh, so, so my question was that my brother, uh, had been, had uh, asked me to be my best man at my wedding, like 12 times. And I was really tempted to, to do the same thing. And, uh, then last week he told me that he would proposed to his girlfriend and she said yes. And I resisted the urge to even mention it. And I wanted to say thank you for your excellent advice. Oh, Yay! thank you. Yay! That deserves a round of applause. Congratulations to your brother, by the way, and congratulations to you. My sister is in the audience tonight. And sometimes it's really hard when she's done a lot of terrible things to me. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. She's the best sister in the world. Um, My sister Laura is here, and she is wonderful and the best, and I love her, and she's never done anything wrong. (laughs) I'm so glad you're here. Um, Okay, next question. So first of all, I love the fact that your shoes are coordinated Both leopard print. Love it. Love it. That was an accident. (laughs) I don't know if it was intentional or not, but I feel the vibe. Thank you.
1: So I tend to be really over analytical and try to rationalize everything I do. Like, oh, am I being objective? Am I being logical, rational? But sometimes it's too much or too Mm -hmm. little and it's hard to
0: kind of keep grounded. So what feedback or comments would you have
1: about that in terms of like, am I being objective, fair, rational, like... How do I be like hard on myself when I need to be, but also not too hard and too
0: rough on myself? I wish my brother was here because (laughs) that is my brother. Like, I feel like he would have such great advice for you. And like, he would be like done with this in 30 seconds. We could all just go home. Um, (laughs) My sister disagrees with me. My sister does not think that. Um, (laughs) And I've already said she's always right. So I've really put myself in a problem. Yeah, but just that kind of general question of like, how do I know whether I'm like, like applying appropriate rigor to my own line of thinking versus am I being way too hard on myself? Um, And that's a big, you know, that's that's really hard. Like I think
2: that's often the ultimate question. I think.
0: Yeah, and I think just as you were saying in that last question, I think one key here is having a number of friends um, or people in your life whose judgment you value. Um, who can give you some feedback? And and again, that you know doesn't mean like texting every friend you have every time you have to make a decision and say like, do you think I'm totally bonkers for trying this? Or like, do you think I'm thinking through this correctly? But can really be helpful if you say to someone like, I worry I'm being either too critical here or too um, permissive. Do you have a sense of where you would fall if you were in my position?
2: And I think the people who know you well will be able to who know you well and know the situations well will be able to answer that question for you. Like, I certainly have friends of mine who would say like, no, you can keep being hard on yourself about this because X, Y, Z. Or like, even just this week, I was being hard on myself about something and a friend of mine who was here somewhere, I believe, was like, Jasmine, you need to, like, this is okay. This is a hard thing that you're going through. Like, that's fine. Um, and so I think, like, reaching out to people, because you, I think you never have the best perspective on yourself. Um, and certainly, like, everyone else you know is going to have a different kind of prism on you, but it's helpful to hear the different ones and see, do they agree? Like, am I doing too much of this? Am I not doing enough of this? Um, and I think listening to people in your life, especially... You know, if you are at a point in your life where you have people around you whose opinions you value, um, sometimes we all have to get there. But but if, like, listen to those people and try to, like, be kinder on yourself about that.
0: I would also like to uh, put a plug in for writing stuff down sometimes. Um, Because, like, I think we all were, like, all of our fear is, like, I will get so um, mixed up when it comes to rigor and... um, compassion that like, I'm going to be like Philip cheating on Tiffany and being like, it's self care for no one to yell at me. <laughs> you know, like that's the fear is that I'll be like, yeah, I cheated on my wife, but self care. <laughs> um, like that's the fear. And so I think sometimes like writing down, you know, what do I think is the highest good in this situation? Like what's the value here that I want to prioritize? Um, what's the best case scenario? What would I do with that? What's the worst thing that could happen? How would I feel about that? Um, Is there any part of me that I I think feels threatened here or that I want to safeguard? It doesn't have to be like pages and pages. It can just be like a phrase or two, Um, but it can really help clarify, like what am I hoping to get out of this situation? What's the thing that I need from this situation of this person? Is it like to feel heard? Is it to feel respected? Is it to like get a specific thing from them? And if I don't get what I want, what would I do? And how would I want to respond? Like how would I... How would I lose gracefully in this scenario? Um,
2: And then also you can flip back and think like, oh, I did this exact same thing three months ago.
0: Right. I have this problem a lot. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Like maybe, oh, okay, this is how I fixed it. Or like, I did not do that well. Let's try something different. So I think that is very helpful.
0: Yeah. And again, like, uh, I'll say this too. Like, I don't like writing things down. um, And I... Like, when I first started to think about transition, like, two... Oh, my God. Two years ago? Wow. (laughs) Um, I'm an elder now. (laughs) I'm not an elder. I'm not an elder. That is a joke. Um, But... I I really hate writing stuff out by hand and I also knew I needed to keep some sort of record because I knew if I didn't I would just keep convincing myself that like this just started yesterday and I needed to prove to myself that I was thinking about this a lot so I would just I opened a Google Doc and I just like would type in the date and I would write a couple of sentences of what I was thinking about it and after like six months I was like I guess I have been thinking about my gender for a long time. (laughs) Or else, like an evil demon has crept into my laptop, and it's t- like I had evidence that there was a pattern, um, and so that can be really helpful. And good luck. Thanks for listening to Dear Prudence. Our producer is Phil Circus. Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. Live production by Faith Smith. Kirsten Holtz, and Phil Circus. Special thanks to the Brava Theater Center in San Francisco. Don't miss an episode of the show. Head to slate.com slash dearprudence to subscribe. And remember, you can always hear more Prudence by joining Slate Plus. Go to slate.com slash prudipod to sign up. And if you want me to answer your question, call me and leave a message at 401-371-DEAR, that's 3327, and you might hear your answer on an episode of the show. You don't have to use your real name or location, and at your request, we can even alter the sound of your voice. Keep it short. 30 seconds. A minute, tops. Thanks for listening. And on today's Plus segment...
2: You and your partner are constantly snooping through each other's phones. I feel like there's no level of trust in your relationship to begin with. Like, what are you doing?
0: We were talking about this backstage a little bit. And we had the idea of, like, just, like, go into his notes app on his phone and leave a message that's just like, well, I was snooping through your phone and I found this. Ball's in your cart now. To listen to the rest of that conversation, join Slate Plus now at slate.com forward slash
1: PrudyPod.